I have uh, made it the habit to invite previous guests of this podcast to recommend future ones. And so I was delighted when one of them reached back recently to say that I simply had to speak with Jan Alexandra Smith, who in his words, is one of Canada's finest actors and directors. And I totally agree. What a wonderful idea and opportunity to reconnect with someone who I have been lucky enough to see and experience in numerous performances throughout her career. In fact, for nearly 35 years, Jan has been stepping onto stages in roles that have entertained, challenged, surprised, and thrilled audiences across this country. The work itself has fueled her passion for sharing stories and her love of creative expression. And yet even leading up to 2020 and then throughout the pandemic quiet that performing artists were cast in, Jan was becoming aware of what she describes as a dwindling pilot light in her sense of what theater seemed to be offering to her lifelong passion for it. And she began to wonder if the party was over for her and theater. And then a timely conversation with a friend and colleague led her to the discovery of a company whose work felt both exciting and inviting to her imagination, sparking not just a reignition of the pilot light, but a bright burst of new flame, and specifically for a love of movement-based theater, something I'm very intrigued to talk with her more about. So Jan, welcome, and thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for asking me to be here. Thank you for that lovely introduction that just gets the surges of humble adrenaline mm. going through my whole body. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You know, we talked even just moments before a recording about the fact that we've been in kind of the, the same the same pool of energy and, and interest. Um, our paths have never directly connected on project. Um, but you and I both uh, graduated from the U of A's uh, BFA program. You took six years, however, as I understand, to complete the three-year program as your yes. studies were interrupted by three years in which you joined the original Canadian uh, company of Les Miserables. And then that was followed with two years at the Charlottetown Festival, which took you to Japan with Anne of Green Gables, which is an entirely other curiosity <laughs> of mine. I, the, the, the Japanese people seem to absolutely adore and have adopted Anne as yeah. one of their own, uh, which, which is just, I, it's a lovely bit of trivia there. But I'm wondering if just to, to provide us some context, if you might fill in a few of the blanks of that introduction, especially as it relates to your theater journey, maybe some of the some of the highlights along the way that have put you in this moment and brought you to 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 this conversation today. Oh boy, oh boy. Um, I hope I can uh, I hope I can be somewhat concise because you know when you when you when you say for nearly 35 years, I go, my God, that's a long time. It all started for me, you know, that that pilot light. I think I was born with that creative pilot light because my mom was the single biggest influence over me in all the ways. Um, as I was uh, as I was growing up, um, including how I became an artist, she would take me to the ballet. She took me to the National Ballet when it was still called the O'Keeffe Center in Toronto, downtown Toronto. And I think I was maybe three when I told mom I wanted to start taking the ballet lessons and she got me she got me uh, uh, all set up at the ballet studio that was only three blocks away from where we grew up in Toronto. 
But when I was 11, mom brought me to Stratford to see Maggie Smith play Rosalind mm. in As You Like It. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know at the age of 11 who Maggie Smith was. I had no idea that this was somebody to really you know, pay attention to and that she'd had this remarkable um, career already and what a what a um, privilege it was to see her live. All I knew was that there was this utterly luminous presence on stage whom I could not take my eyes off of. And she was surrounded by, by um, she was surrounded by a company of incredible people that as an adult, I really sometimes still can't believe I got to work with. There was this beautiful full circle. Um, um, that got completed, that began with seeing that performance when I was 11 years old. But I had just, I had um, really determined that I wanted to be a ballet dancer. But after mm. seeing that production, I said to my mom very clearly on the drive home, mom, I don't want to be a dancer anymore. I want to be an actor. So we're going to blame this one on Maggie Smith. <clears throat> and thank your mom for taking and, a new route yeah and absolutely <laughs> and we'll blame it on my mom too um i'll put a pin in that one um and come back to uh to a very um, strong feeling i have about my mom um one of many um but i at the time i was i was enrolled in private girls school in toronto which was very very um centered around the academic performance of of its students it had no arts really on offer mm. um they do now all of these decades later but back then it was just nope stay in line do your science do your math do your french do your geography and i sort of shriveled there and mm. i finally fought tooth and nail with my parents to be allowed to leave that school and go to a public school where there was going to be a broader range of theater and choir and more performing arts i won the battle it was hard won but i won it and i got to go to lawrence park collegiate in toronto and i just became immediately ensconced in the in the in the choir and in the and in the theater um when my parents gave me no choice but to move to Alberta and pulled me out of grade 12. So I missed my grade 13. They pulled me out and they dragged me kicking and screaming to Alberta. Um, I had no way of knowing that this was going to be one of the best things that ever happened to me because mm. the University of Alberta's theater program um, was, was available if I could jump mm. through the hoops and get accepted. And, uh, and I did, and it was absolutely one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, did Tom, was Tom Peacock your acting professor? No, as well? Tom, Tom was my acting professor for sure. And I still, uh, I consider him one of, uh, three mentors, main mentors in my life. So, um, and Tom really set the bar for committing to the work. Don't waste your time. If you're not going to work hard. Do your homework, commit to the work. It takes mastery to do this. It takes diligence, passion, and mastery to do this for a living. And he, you know, he, he really, um, he got the, he got the fire lit, boy. <laughs> wow. um, but then I had fallen in love with Les Miserables. I think all of my fellow theater nerds had fallen in love with Les Miserables at one time or another. And sure. um, I listened to that album from beginning to end every day before school and every day after school you were an early riser <laughs> <laughs> i guess so eh? i guess so i was really uh, in love with it so when the news came that it was coming a production was coming to toronto um i threw my hat in the ring with some encouragement from uh from from a, a specific teacher to be honest with you but i got the show and i left for three years but 
it was a rude awakening when I, when I left school and I actually got into the reality of the profession, not the ideal that I had created in my mind. I learned, and it was a hard lesson that, oh, oh, theater is a business, mm -hmm. right? It's a business. Especially and commercial theater of that scale. Right? That's the thing. Yeah. I did not expect it. And it really crushed my little bunny, theater bunny dreams. Mm. Um, I found that first year extremely hard uh, living in that reality. Plus, I, I lost my dad a year earlier, so that wasn't exactly oh. a walk in the park. But um, but I sort of escaped back to Stratford. Um, after, after my year-long contract with Les Mis was over, I escaped back to Stratford just to lick my wounds and sort of recalibrate how I felt about the, the business and being in it, what that meant. I auditioned for Charlottetown, as you say, I got to go to Charlottetown and really, um, I don't know, sort of put the meat back on my bones there, put the, uh, the, the, the fun came back into what I was doing. And, but I realized I, I needed to finish what I started. And so I re-auditioned for the University of Alberta. And I went back and I, and I, and I finished the degree and I just, again, it was, it was another um, opportunity to recalibrate why I wanted to do what I do in the first place. And then, uh, and that's why it took so long to, to finally graduate. But I do find myself, uh, I, I, I always sort of considered Stratford this place to come and rest and to come and be surrounded by art and artistic people, but a place to sort of rest. And I sort of, um, I'm glad I was here during the pandemic because even though I didn't have access to the arts and I didn't have access to my community, um, it just seemed consistent to come, to, to be here. Hmm. Does that make sense? It just sort of seemed well, consistent as a place to, as like a, as like a safe place for, for my artistic heart, however wounded to be. Well, it's interesting because even in, in hearing you talk about that part of the journey there's a circling back theme there's a coming mm -hmm. back to home wherever home is and it might not be the address on the side of the house maybe it's your heart and your heart is at home you you came back because you, you felt you needed to not just perhaps finish what you started which is honorable and uh but that that you were not finished with the work that you had begun uh, and so yeah. there was a coming back and so to to I'm not sure that we've established that that you are now living in Stratford. That is right, your current right. physical um, geographic home, um, yeah. where, as you say, you arrived back pre-pandemic. Um, yeah, the um, I bought the house here in the fall of 2019 and spent six months gutting it. It, it had been sorely neglected, and I think I have I, I have a penchant for sort of rehabilitating things in need of love, um, and. Uh, and I moved in two weeks before everything really shut down. Wow. <laughs> well done. <laughs> I, <see>. I know. <laughs> I know. God help us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the irony there of coming back to a safe community only to, to be shuttered from the community. And at yeah. the same time, have your work ahead of you of, of rehabilitating and bringing love into that home and space for, for yourself. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it was it was a privilege to be able to do this. It was a it was a dream I had for a really long time to just completely gut a house and to rebuild it from the inside. Because um, I don't know why I love renovation as much as I do, but it's just another way to create. Mm. 
mm. at the end of the day. It's 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 another way to build something, especially if you're going to gut, gut a house to build something out of kind of nothing. You've got the foundations, but you get to yeah. you get to you get to create the environment. You get to create the story here. Mm. So even though I couldn't work in the theater, it was still um, a creative outlet to continue to continue building this house. Yeah, I just want to hold on to that uh, verb rehabilitate as well. There's a piece of our conversational story today that is in and of that that uh, that your rehabilitate is that I, I I don't have a dictionary in front of me to 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 see where that root is, but it feels like there is a there's a relanding, there is a a sense of bringing back life. Um, and again, you know the the first image of the violet light. Um, not dead yet. Yeah. Um, not gone, not out. Yeah. Uh, but but requiring some attention. Attention must be paid, Linda Lola yeah. says. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, my 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 brain starts to my brain starts to think about um, you know, I I, I think the same principle should and can be applied to people and friendships mm -hmm. and relationships and don't give up on something, just give it some attention. Mm -hmm. give it give it an opportunity to reach its potential see what beauty can be built here yeah. and you know that that actually makes me think about um sorry if i'm going off on too many tangents here but that actually makes me oh, I love it. think think immediately about dennis garnham who mm -hmm. recommended we have this conversation mm -hmm. um and his he has a drive to find or to create beauty wherever there is potential for it and he yeah. is actually he is actually who coined or who at least who gave me that image of the of the low pilot light that really needs to have some fuel yeah. in order to burn bright. Let's let's just let's just sit in that pilot light for a minute um, because I and and I may have already kind of jumped the shark in the introduction, but but there was something that had shifted for you in your in your love of theater and. Uh, and and while you you weren't certain that you were done with it or it was done with you, something had had kind of changed in that your desire to continue to do what you knew you're good at doing that you had found love in before, but that needed somehow to be reshifted or reframed. So, what was shifting for you? I think at a certain, I think simultaneously, I felt like theater was the boyfriend that just wasn't that into me anymore. Hmm. And I wasn't sure how much I was into it anymore. I had been warned when I was about 34 by women at the age that I am now, and I'm not going to tell you what that is, that you do reach a point. As a woman, you do reach a point in this business where the work, I think they use the term dries up. I don't know if that's really a term I should continue to use. I don't know how accurate it is, but the work becomes more challenging to secure. I like to believe that now that I am the age that I am, there are wonderful parts, wonderful parts being written for women of my generation that may not have been there 20 odd years ago. But 20 odd years ago, I was given this warning. And I think I began to see or to feel that that warning was really given for good reason, because I, I, I began to find it harder and harder to secure a season of work that could sustain any kind of income, um, any kind of manageable income. 
Right. And it hurt because it was, I guess it was during those days where I thought, oh, this is why parents don't want their kids to become actors, right? <laughs> because I had benefited for so long. I had been so lucky. I'd been in the right place at the right time. I I knew certain people who were in positions of power to give me work. I had really had a great go. And you were doing I, the work, as Tom had encouraged. You were doing I, yeah, the work. I mean, like I thank you. I deserved it. Deserved it. But that being said, there's a ton of talented people out there who don't have the opportunity. Fair you know, this is the time to revisit that pin of my mom. My mom was the best actress I ever knew in my entire life. And I've seen a lot of actresses and Isabel Smith was the best actress I've ever seen in my life, but she didn't have, she made decisions. She didn't have the right opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. So she never got to share that with mm. the world. She never got to indulge and swim in that beautiful talent she was graced with. I was, but I, but, but I was like, Oh gosh. Yeah. Right. I have put so much work into this career but it doesn't owe me anything i don't have any upward mobility i may age out of being the flavor of the you know mm. the leading lady flavor of the month shoot now what yeah. and there's you know there's this pain that comes with that and there's a lot of fear that comes with that but simultaneously there were things within the industry that were really turning me off i mean gosh i was really turned off by kind of aging out i was turned off by this rotation of leadership that we have in our not not rotation of leadership this change in leadership um inherent to our industry where an artistic director retires and then there's a good chance that somebody younger than them is going to step into the leadership role and the younger generation doesn't necessarily have any clue who the older generation is right. and i don't want to have to keep proving my mm. talent or proving my you know, showing my resume and, and justifying my higher ability. And I just, I think I'd been spoiled for a really long time and the universe had just given me so much opportunity and it just felt like it wasn't there anymore. And I thought, oh God, uh, I just felt rejected hmm. and then dejected. <laughs> and I was getting really disenchanted on top of everything with the work that we were doing across the country it just felt a bit redundant. No, it didn't feel a bit redundant. It felt very redundant. I just felt really uninspired. I felt, I felt bored. I felt unchallenged. I felt, I know how to do this. Why do I want to keep doing this? And I was bored. But what does that mean? Um, okay, and this is, <laughs> this is where I feel really self-conscious about about taking too much time to express myself because I don't think it really um I don't I don't think that an interview like this um wants lots of long pauses and 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 I'm I'm searching desperately through my imagination to to be more specific with you about what that boredom was and I'm so may and I may I yeah, offer please. may I offer an image uh please. that's that's coming to me and and before I do that a reminder that this isn't an interview. This is a conversation. Oh, and and if there's that. a question that requires space, yeah. it must be one that's worth your taking the time to think it through. So okay, thank take you. That. That's really generous. That's really generous. The image for me it was plateau, and what was interesting in listening to you was a plateau that you felt you were being placed on, 
on the shelf, if you will. I've, mm. I've, I've, I'm on a shelf and maybe my shelf life is ticking. But I'm also hearing you acknowledge that, you know, those words I used in introducing you about what you have done with roles, entertained, challenged, surprised, and thrilled. You know, when I bring those back up, it doesn't sound like the work that was available to you or that you were seeing was as thrilling, as entertaining, as challenging, as surprising, as magical, perhaps. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I think that, like, it's possible that on this plateau, you know, you're looking around at the landscape and thinking, well, what out there does excite me? What out there does thrill me? And just like searching and searching the horizon for, you know, I don't know, a fire somewhere, the smoke from a, from a fire somewhere that you want to go and, and investigate. And I just, I felt a bit hopeless, I think, mm. maybe, because I just couldn't see the way out. Creativity has the power to take our breath away, to move us to action or reaction, to invite us to feel more fully alive. And when the creativity is coming out of the kitchen of a local restaurant, the experience has the power to do all of the above and put a smile on your face. Q Burger in Qualicum Beach on Vancouver Island is home to culinary creativity led by owners Aaron and Kevin. Together, they have managed to make a local burger joint a must-stop on any trip up the central coast of the island. In fact, readers of Canadian Living Magazine recently voted it one of the top five burger restaurants in Canada. And if you're saying, yeah, but a burger joint's a burger joint, then let me ask you, what other burger joint allows you to choose between a Boomageddon, all caps, with double the beef, double the bacon, and double the cheese, and Wicked Sticky, where the roasted chicken breast is topped with balsamic reduction, roasted garlic, and fried brie, or the new Sonic Pickle Boomerito, yep, with an exclamation point. And if meat is not your treat, Consider a Brock of Ages, the Thai Tuna Tornado Wrap, or Halibut and Chips caught fresh from the ocean 10 minutes down the street that morning. The fish, not the chips. Put it on your bucket list. Q-Burger, locally owned and operated in Qualicum Beach, BC. So... The pandemic stops everything, everybody from creating theater for the most part, unless they had a really fine streaming platform already well owned and oiled. And some did across the world. And some did. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> your desire, your, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I And I, I'm just going to insert a quote here. Uh, playwright and actor Anna DeVere Smith said, what is required for making art is insatiable curiosity. And I sense that you have an insatiable curiosity and that that curiosity, when you couldn't make traditional theater art, led to culinary art in your case. And we didn't bring, I mean, just bringing that in like completely brand new, but that was something that you jumped in to mm -hmm. along with mm -hmm. building your and rebuilding, rehabilitating your house in that space of what's what's now to be. And can I can we just go down there a little dip down there a little because, sure, sure. because that sure. was that was a part of your I've got it, I've got to feed my curiosity. I've got to continue to grow and expand and and I've always wanted to do this. So well, I don't think I really had any any better choice at a certain point i thought we may emerge from this pandemic with in a world that, that no longer has theaters 
because they're on life support right now. And how long can, you know, how long can you keep that pulse going? And I thought, okay, I just need to be responsible again, back to mom, <laughs> back to being raised by somebody who grew up during the second world war and understood that you just, no matter how hard it gets, you got to do what you got to do. So I thought well, better make a plan. I don't want to come out of this pandemic without a plan. And, um, uh, so the question is, all right, well, what environment can I, do I think I can actually not go insane in if I have to switch careers? And I think honestly, the first answer to that is a yoga studio, but yoga studios were closed too. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> okay, well, people got to eat. Restaurants are suffering, but people still got to eat. So why not pull the trigger on this curiosity I'd have? I've had as as I start to fear that I have to leave the theater industry anyway, due to my age, due to feeling an obsolescence coming. Should I pull the trigger on this culinary school thing? So, so I thought that's what I'm going to do. But I think ultimately, Greg, for me, like if if I'm not creating. I honestly feel a wee bit like I'm losing my mind. It's it's a necessity. You know, there's um there's a musician named Mary Gauthier out there and Mary I heard her singing a song. She was actually singing a very um she's actually singing a very vulnerable song about her her uh journey recovering from alcoholism. But she says see she, and I'm paraphrasing her song, but she says something to the effect of like you know, fish swim, birds fly, um, you know, dogs bark and I drink. And I thought, well, Mary, I'm going to I'm going to borrow some of your poetry here because fish swim, birds fly, dogs bark and creators create. Right. That is our nature. And if we yeah. cannot behave according to our nature, we suffer. So I had to make sure that whatever I did was creative and I pulled the trigger on that culinary school thing. The creation was keeping me sane. And there was a little bit of transference of what, what I kind of needed as, uh, as an actor in that I would go on to my, my, uh, my iPad in the morning and I would, I would be shown a video of how to create the meal that I had to create when I got to school. So that was a bit like rehearsal. And then you're slammed into the kitchen and that's just being thrown onto stage and, you know, do the performance, put that meal together, take it immediately to chef, get your review. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and realize, and, but on top of that, you're, you, you are ultimately learning how to create something hopefully beautiful for the public consumption to hopefully enrich their lives as we all hope that the arts enrich the people who come to share them with us. So uh, there was a really good transference of mm -hmm. what I needed as a creator in, in the culinary school for a year. But in the 11th month of that 12th month, month commitment, <laughs> I walked back into the Grand Theatre in London, Ontario, where I had spent years um, working uh, on many many projects uh thank you dennis garnham and i walked the, the the grand had undergone a very very substantial renovation the mm -hmm. only space in the entire theater that had not been touched by this renovation was the spree stage auditorium the the the, the big theater 
it's a beautiful theater. And I have many friends and colleagues who would agree with me that it's probably the most beautiful theater in the country. Um, And I walked into it for the first time in two years and immediately burst into tears. And I had to subdue sobs. It was such a strong, visceral response to walking back into a theater that I grabbed onto the walls as if I were hugging them. And I had to really force myself (laughs) not to make a dramatic scene (laughs) because I felt so strongly about being back in a theater. And I realized that I had been keeping at bay my grief at not being able to do what I do. And I realized in that moment, I can't not do this. But now the question is, in what form do I make that happen? Because if I've been bored by this, if I've been uninspired by this, I'll fight to be able to do it again, but it has to be on some terms. There have to be some terms. Hmm. And, you know, if, if, if I may, if we, if we just have a think about the, the ellipsis, the first dot of the ellipsis, and maybe you put this thought in my head and I'm just adopting it, that the first dot of that ellipsis is the end of what my theater experience looked like after 35 years. The third dot is the beginning of what it's going to look like from here on in. And I have been stuck. That plateau Hmm. is that middle dot where I've been in between the ending and the new beginning. (laughs) Did you put that thought in my head? I think you did. Well, it's interesting. I'm looking down at the very loose notes that I've got. and, and, And one of the things I just looked at was the connection to being in the ellipses moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm hearing you open that up to say something happened in the middle that shifted and changed. And it maybe began with that expression of the wall of grief, um, allowing itself to, to, to be with you and to be, Mm -hmm. to be alive. And, and uh, it's funny, we think of, of, of expressing that grief in, in tears, which would extinguish the 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 weak pilot light but in fact that's only one way of seeing them they've also ignited the possibility of and so in that moment if a friend said you gotta look at this not necessarily because this is the thing for you and the this and i referred to it in the introduction happened to be from a company uh in in england called frantic assembly yes. whose work has excited both of us uh, independently uh, over the years and so that opened a possibility towards the step on the next dot. Is that, is that, am I accurate in that? Yes, very much so. Very much so. The frantic assembly, the, the, the first moment of, of, of seeing the work that they do and are capable of, absolutely. I don't even know if I have the right, I don't even know if I know the word for what happened to the pilot mm-hmm. light, to the, to the gym pilot light. But, you know, that that same visceral response that I had walking into the theater, I'd reference that I had a really strong visceral response when I saw when a, when a friend showed me the YouTube footage of Frantic Assemblies Othello. Yes. And I had the same like everything inside me just it just went just exploded. And I started crying because I was so moved or excited or immediately in love with whatever I was looking at. 
I am really, really good at pretending that I'm fine when I'm not fine and that I don't want the things that I actually really do want, but the, but where all of my rationale and all of my set decorations fail me is when I have a strong visceral physical response to something. You know, you, you, you encouraged me to have a look at digital theater and I, and I looked it up online and I saw this trailer for Frantic's love song Mm -hmm. and just started crying immediately. There's no denying that that if something is, is screaming at you, pay attention to me. If the universe, if the universe is just like putting this beautiful gift in front of you, pay attention to it. And that's, that's how I interpret like these, these physical responses to these moments is the universe going, um, I'm pointing you in a direction. Now Mm -hmm. go. Um, and if I can just insert here, and I know I'm hoping that any, I mean, you've, you've dropped in enough references that anybody who's intrigued to know more will, will open up YouTube and have, have a look. Um, what struck me, not knowing all of the information of the history of that particular organization, but there is a full embrace of the beginner's mindset that we start. It's devised work by, by and large. Uh, often um, they will bring in a playwright at some point or along the, you know, along the line, the, the script will be assembled and created. And, and I think there are other examples, Othello being one, where there is an existing text. Mm-hmm. But the, the whole interpretive process is... It, it, we just wipe the slate clean and begin from a very nascent, a very deeply exploratory improvisational manner. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, if I'm standing on that plateau, looking out over the horizon, going, well, how, how do I get off this plateau? What direction do I go in? Where out there is something worth going to? Frantic was it. Mm-hmm. Or Frantic started this journey toward learning more about what we can do in theater that is very different than how we have been doing it for decades and decades and decades. In Othello, for instance, in Frantic's Othello, there's a love scene that occurs between Othello and Desdemona. Um, Their version is updated into a bar, a pub in Northern England. Mm -hmm. And there's a love scene between Desdemona and Othello where they're I said, I suppose, essentially making love on mm-hmm. the pool table. On the pool There's table. nothing sexual about it. It's very intimate. It's very graceful. It's very lyrical. But it's a it's a total movement piece, and yeah. and we as audience members have to complicitly buy in to this moment where all and the lights go out except for a spotlight on a pool table, and we watch two people stylistically in love with each other, stylistically making love. Mm-hmm. It, it demands our imagination. So mm-hmm. we become a part, the audience becomes a part of that theatrical event. Yeah. So the invitation to engage deeply in the meaning making of the of that of that experience, of, of yeah. that storytelling moment. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, and, and, and the entire audience, I don't know, they, they they bear witness to this moment, to these, to these. Uh, to these to these different modes of storytelling mm-hmm. collectively mm-hmm. you don't have to like it you don't have to agree with it you might not even get it you might see something different than the person sitting next to you sees but collectively you are witnessing this yeah. and yeah. and i think you know in your in your conversation with with max wyman about the power of uh arts and culture on democracy 
Um, is that not sort of what you guys were talking about, about the power of this collective experience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um, you know, it, it, the love song, the other piece uh, that that has, and as you say, m moved you in its trailer, and 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 every time I watch it, it does. It's as ostensibly, it's an end of life story between a um, a childless um, elderly couple. But it is a play told in with four actors, so it, it is that 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 older couple, as uh, as as their age and themselves as younger age, and there are these breathtaking um, moments of seamless interaction of memory, where where you know potentially all four actors are on stage and the dialogue and the. Um, the communication is crossing their lifespan of the relationship, um, and it and it is it. I don't know how that would be done filmically because it is more balletic than yeah. than anything else. Then, as, as you said, stylistically. So all of that, Jen, if I can, just in your story, that that spark of this is this one company, a one of many companies, as you said, who and yeah. you know, there's a European tradition. I think of, of of this work. Yeah, absolutely. Like this is this is just my post-it note of all <laughs> of all of the theater companies I have to I, I I plan to research. It just all started with Frantic Assembly, but yeah. yes, as you say, so many different theater companies. And it got you into a master class. This was an opportunity for you to to jump in and head to to Los Angeles. So, what yes. did that do for you? Where, where oh did my that goodness! Take you? Yeah. So um, a year ago, I went to uh, Long Beach, California for a week-long, uh, what they call a residency, which sounds which sounds much more impressive than a workshop. I went for a <laughs> residency. Um, and uh, it, it happened on the Cal State University uh, uh, campus in this fabulous kind of vintage 1970s drama building. Um, loved every second of it. Um, and one of the best, best moments was uh, being in this huge, baking hot, dusty dance studio with all of these sexy British people from Frantic Assembly and, uh, and, and all of these, you know, like-minded movement nerds uh, coming from all corners of North America to study with them. And I was, you know, nervous and excited and so happy. And, but I turned around and I saw this tall, blonde, young man walking toward me with this gigantic grin. He didn't say a word. He just looked at me with this gigantic grin as he walked toward me. And my heart just grew three times because it was your son, Braden Dowler Coltman, who I've known yeah. since he was, uh, he was a, a, young, a young boy. And um, as the years passed, Brady also got a keen interest in movement and in, in heightened movement in theater. And neither one of us knew that we were going to be there, but we were there and we got to share that week together. And I just, oh, it was such a joy, such a joy. Um, but what it did was it reconnected me with my heart you talked earlier about home doesn't necessarily have to be the address on the side of the building home can be in your heart and it, it brought me it brought me home i'll probably get emotional talking about it but there you go there's that visceral visceral response again um yeah god i'm i didn't expect to be this emotional but i'm just so grateful and i love it so much i love it so much um we we part of the um part of the the 
the, the parts of the frantic assembly process that is structured, because a lot of it is unstructured, but the part that is structured always involves a warm up because the work that you're going to be do you're going to be doing is physically taxing so um but i can remember on the first day just like opening up my body into like this side stretch like anybody who does yoga it was like a triangle or pose or whatever but like my heart was open and my i had one hand stretching up to the ceiling and one hand stretching down to the floor and just stretching open my whole body and heart open and i just had this moment of recognition where i'm looking up at the ceiling and i went <gasps> there I am. <laughs> and it was just this moment of dropping and going, this is where you belong. Mm. This is where you belong. I mean, it's a luxury. It's a privilege to have a moment like that because I feel like, um, I feel like anybody who, who will listen to our conversation, like, like all of us spends their days just like, doing the things you got to do and doing the chores and getting the kids to school and paying the bills and getting dinner on the table and the luxury of just having that moment of like, aside from all the things in your days for the last however many years that you had to do and that you should have done and that you were responsible for doing this in this moment, this is where you are supposed to be. This is what you are supposed to be doing. It was almost spiritual. I, I guess really, but it was um, totally spiritual and that's okay. Yeah. 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 That's more than okay. But it was like being lost, not in danger, not in any no. danger, but being lost. And then kaboom, mm -hmm. there's the path. There it is. And it's bright and it's shiny and it's sparkly and it's fabulous. Mm -hmm. So, I said to, you know, we, 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 we had a collective, there was 18 of us in that um, group, plus our uh, instructors, if you will. Mm -hmm. And we had a check-in at the end of the first day and we had a check-in at the end of the last day. And I can remember saying when it was my turn at the end of the last day, okay, the good news is I know this is what I want to do for the rest of my life professionally. <laughs> the bad news is I know that this is what I want to do for the rest of my life professionally. <laughs> yes. Because I don't want to forget anything that I learned there. I don't want to lose the inspiration and I don't know how to start. Mm. But that, that, that world of telling stories with movement, with bodies, the extraordinary images mm. that you can show to an audience through the human body that you cannot express in words or even through song that you can only show, you can only suggest through gesture, not dance, through gesture. You can make each other fly. You can walk sideways on walls. Mm -hmm. You can make love to somebody without kissing, without. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. This is where I want visual aids, you know what I mean? <laughs> but that's. <laughs> You're creating them in our minds. <laughs> yeah, right. absolutely. But that excites the hell out of me. Yeah. 
and. And the dot, 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 right? So honestly, I wrote to the University of Surrey a few days ago to say, hey, can I have a conversation with somebody about a master's? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. there's only two schools I know of in the West that offer a substantial course in movement direction. And one is at Central School at the University of London, the Central yeah. School of um, Speech and Drama. Mm-hmm. And the other is the Guildford School of Acting at the University of Surrey. Um, for a foreign student, it's a hell of a financial commitment. Yep. But I'm also at an age where I'm like, okay, do I want to be the richest person in the graveyard? How do I want to live my life with what I got left? And at the end of the day, I think if I don't do this, I will regret it. I think that on my deathbed, I will go, damn it. Damn it. Damn it. So um, I think that's an important question to ask. You know, mm-hmm. what will you regret not doing? It sounds and like you've regret. got your answer. I have my answer. I have my answer. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And well, anyone listening is not going to see this. This is what I'd like to offer back, if I might. And that is in those moments of doubt, if there are up ahead, that you reach that arm up <laughs> and you look up and you feel that connectedness. Yeah. And that's where you said there was light. That's that heat of that burner going yeah yeah i mean god bless all of us and all of the strengths that we've been blessed with you know i have a i have a a friend again kind of like brady i've known him since he was 12 years old and he's um his name is mark ewer i don't know if you've ever had the benefit of seeing mark perform he's really quite astonishing he's really astonishing he he uh he is continuing his career as an artist, as a, as a theater artist, but he is also in the process of becoming an art therapist. And Mark needed to um, get very specific about where he was going to do his practicum. So he has classmates who are working with neurodiverse children. He has classmates who are working with um, people may, who may have suffered paralysis. Mark is doing his with children with cancer. Wow. And his classmates say to him, how can you do this? My God, like how, how, how do you fortify your heart and fortify your spirit to be able to work with these children with cancer? But that's what Mark's, that's what, that's where his strengths are. Yeah. Right. Superpower. It it is his superpower. And so I I referenced that just to say that we all have our places where we are of use and where we belong. And I think I, I just think that in that moment of stretching up to the ceiling and stretching down where I go, oh, there I am. It's recognizing, oh, that's my, that's, that's my power. I might, I might be terrible at Shakespeare. I might be terrible at, you know, Shaw or Brecht or, or Mamet or whatever, but maybe this is my superpower. Hmm. Maybe. Let's go find out. <laughs> Let's leap off that last dot and go find out. Yeah, and knowing that it's not the last dot. There's many dots up ahead. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a dot. It's a launching pad. It's 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 where it's it's where you feel you must next jump from. You know, we've we've sort of been throughout this conversation exploring the process of of discovering that 
this is where I am. Here I am. I love that. You know, in order to let let some things go in order for other things to be let in. And there's a, a sense of rediscovering with newness. I was going to say new eyes, but it's so much more than eyes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, you know, when we first spoke, I had shared how special it was in my life that I have had the opportunity to revisit one of my favorite uh, plays twice um, with quite a span in between and and to direct sometimes into the woods, almost 15 years apart, right? And how much I, I came to appreciate how much I had changed by the time I got to it again. So I'm really kind of curious with this new sense of what excites you and ignites you about storytelling. I'd be really curious if there was a, a role, a text, um, an experience that you loved creating once upon a time. But now, if you had the opportunity to come back to it, as an actor, oh. as a director, as a movement director, as a, is there something there that you would love to push back out onto the blank space and say, hello again, look what oh, I got wow. coming but, at you. But, but do you mean like from the person, like, do you mean employing? The, yes. The, and just the, knowing who you are now that here I am also suggests here I am now <laughs> where I was and also so much more. Well, I mean, I had the great, great benefit over the last, and I do mean this sincerely, I had the great benefit of um, being in a show written by Jonathan Christensen from Catalyst Theatre in Edmonton uh, called Vigilante. And Vigilante is my, like, I've, I've got, uh, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to brag for a second here. I think it's braggy, but I've got like about a, maybe, oh, geez. I've got 120 credits, I would say, on my on my professional credits on my resume. And maybe that's not a lot. Like maybe there's like yeah. maybe that's not and a maybe lot. Maybe it's me. not bragging. Maybe it's celebrating. There it is. There You've you done go. some work. Because I think that's amazing. It maybe is. that's not to other people, but <laughs> I think it's great. Uh and I would say that of that entire, no offense to any director or uh, I've ever worked with him um elsewhere, but Vigilante is without a doubt my favorite show that I've ever gotten to be a part of. Because uh for for a number of reasons, but not the least of which is that everything I was taught at the University of Alberta. The movement, text, dialect, uh, gosh, um, dance, stage combat, um, all the techniques mm. that I learned, I got to use in this one role. And movement was a really big part of that, too. Not only because of the choreography, sort of like the stylized choreography in the piece, of which I won't really get to um get to execute so much in, in my role, but just in portraying this woman who starts when we first meet her as probably like a 19 year old and how she ages and how that age is represented through the body and how the gravity and the weight of what happens to her in her life expresses itself physically. So when I first meet her, like when I first introduce her to the audience, I always show up and I, and I, deliberately intentionally do this as a performer with my chest held up high and my shoulders back and my chin up because at that age I just feel like she is ready to take on the world and she's very she's she's got a brave heart so I just show that heart to everybody and 
there, I think that there's a youthfulness that is expressed through the body when you, when your spine is erect and you're here I am, I'm 20 and I'm going to take on the world. But <laughs> gradually, gradually, gradually through the show, it's very curated that by the end of the show, she is hunched. Her, the weight has, is right down in her feet. It's an effort for her to walk across the stage just because of the weight that she's carrying. Yeah. Her head is down low and she looks at you. She looks at you from a bowed head with, with, you know, threateningly and her voice is dropped down and everything. And I just love so much mm. telling the audience who this person is, not through my words, but through how I move and the, and, and how the voice even drops like way, way down, the, the, the heavier her life has become. So um, when you ask that question, I think the first thing I think of is not who I, who I played that I would like to revisit, but who I got to play by employing the techniques of, 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 of movement to tell mm -hmm. a story, not just text. And I'm not, I'm honestly not sure if there is a role in my past that I would go back over. I'll probably like, email you sometime next week and go, wait a minute, it's this. Because, because I think that I just, I just feel historically like so much of the stuff I, I got to do was like seriously text-based and mm. might not accommodate more movement in it. Well, I'm, can I push in on that just for an sure. invitation sure. to think and perhaps email me next week, but <laughs> unless I'm mistaken, Othello is probably pretty text-based. Oh, you're clever, <laughs> aren't you? No, I'm yeah. not trying to be clever. No, no, I'm no, but you're right. What you're might right. shift if you take that frame and flip it, well, smash the damn frame, uh, build a new one. Yeah, know? absolutely. There's so much to be learned. And that's, um, and I say that, I think realistically, I say that humbly, and I say that with great excitement. There is so much to be learned. There's so much. The Ellipses Thinking Podcast is a proud member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network and is produced by Greg and Jordan Dowler-Coltman. The show's theme music has been generously provided by Jordan Hart. And if you're interested in learning more about the ideas behind Ellipses Thinking, please visit dowlercoltman.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you for listening. As a resident of Vancouver Island, I wish to acknowledge that I am a visitor on the traditional lands of the Coast Salish people, including the territories of the Snonoas and Qualicum people. The first peoples have been here for over 10,000 years, their ancestors still here with us in the sky, the land, the ocean, and all of the beings that share this sacred place. As a settler, I gratefully embrace the opportunities for growth as integral to my personal journey of collaboration and reconciliation as I learn and further support the possibilities that lay ahead. I remain committed to practicing my craft in a decolonized space. <laughs>